following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Um, I have to say that there were some Sundays in the past year that felt like this room might never be full again of people. So I am just grateful to the Lord to see all of your faces this morning. I'd like to welcome all of you who are visiting, um, camping out for the weekend and chose to join us here. So we're very grateful to have you with us. Um, uh, and for those of you who have been around, hey. <laughs> Um, before I get uh, into the sermon, I'd like to ask Daniel and Grace to come up and we'll have a little prayer uh, with you. Um, we're, we're going to, we have a baccalaureate service at Kingswood this afternoon for Daniel and Kenneth doesn't do baccalaureate anymore, uh, which I appreciate because why fake it? They're not allowed to say anything about the Lord at public school, so uh, I appreciate they're not doing that, and we'll see what happens at Kingswood. So um, I just want to have a prayer with you guys, and if that's all right. Well, you're already here, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> I don't care what you think. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for these, uh, these two young people, and I thank you for uh, all of their hard work that's gotten them to, uh, to this point in their life, that uh, they've grown in maturity and stature and wisdom. Uh, and now, Lord, uh, as they take this step, they're going to be growing in responsibility, and the things that they need to take care of are going to grow. And I just pray, Father, that you would continue to develop their character, uh, continue to um, develop their abilities uh, to face the challenges that they're going to face in their lives in the directions that you are calling them. I thank you, Lord, for their love for you and their desire to serve you with their lives. And I pray, Father, that your hand of blessing would remain on them, for you've already blessed them. I thank you, Lord, for making them part of our family uh, here at uh, as Crossroads Church family. Um, and I am, am sure that where you have uh, called them to go and continue to grow and learn, uh, they will not be separate from us, um, though miles might separate us, um, that they'll be on our hearts and in our prayers. And again, we're just so grateful for them and um, entrust them to you, Lord. Uh, and their path. Uh, I pray that you would uh, direct their steps. We love you, Lord, and we love them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go away. <laughs> I got a sermon to preach here. So we're headed back to First Peter this morning. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. I say that now. We are not going to make it to verse 17. Um, that's on page 1015 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. Now, if you've been with us, you can remember back to chapter one of this letter. The Apostle Peter was writing to people that he called the elect exiles of the dispersion. Um, that was Jewish Christians living outside of Israel and away from Jerusalem. The original audience of Peter's letter, the original recipients, were scattered throughout the 
provinces of Asia, what we call now um, Turkey. So, though we are not them, uh, we certainly do have a lot in common with them, and we can easily identify uh, with the principles that Peter lays out uh, for them. The Holy Spirit, through him, has laid them out for us. Peter called, uh, Peter called them exiles because they're living away from their homeland. Uh, but they, um, they were living away from their homeland in two senses. They, first, they were dispersed away from Jerusalem, sprinkled among the nations, and so they were exiles in that way. But they're also separated from their true homeland. Israel, the nation, the country, the Jerusalem, the city, that was just an earthly homeland that they were spread out from. Um, it's not really their homeland at all. Uh, once they are adopted by God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. And everyone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ, repents of their sin, and asks him for forgiveness, is adopted by God the Father. That's why we get to call him Father. And everyone who does that becomes an exile in the same way. Though you may have born here and grown up here and never left here, um, this place is still not home. Because God's eternal kingdom is now our home. Heaven is now our home. And we, though the millennia and miles separate us from these first century Christians, um, we are also exiles and sojourners with them while we, while we remain here on this earthly way station waiting. So let's look at our text together. First Peter 2, starting at verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father, we count it a tremendous privilege to gather in this place, to gather around your word, to be able to hold a copy of the living and active word of God. We pray now as we study your word together that your word would do its work in our hearts. Your Holy Spirit would shine light in our dark corners and dust away the cobwebs, shine the light, that we might know you better and be conformed to the image of your Son. 
We love you, Lord, and give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Peter has this tender exhortation to the exiles here on earth, to the church. And it begins with a strong reminder that the church is not only on foreign soil, but is also at war. And far too often, we now, in the 21st century, forget that we're foreigners here. That nothing, we forget that nothing is permanent here on earth. Nothing. Maybe taxes. But nothing else. The only true and lasting joys that are found are found in our heavenly home. With our heavenly Father. With our Savior Jesus. Not here. What we enjoy here on earth is transient. It is temporary. And sometimes a distraction. We find all sorts of ways to distract ourselves from this truth, that our real lasting joy is in God's eternal kingdom. We chase all kinds of things that seem totally harmless and allow them to cloud over and crowd out that which is truly important. These are what Peter calls the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your souls. And he tells us to abstain from them. Well, that sounds pretty cut and dry, doesn't it? Don't sin. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Well, uh, that's not exactly how the Greek puts it. The Greek word that's translated abstain, I I really wish we could all read Greek. I, I can't, so don't be fooled. I have a computer program that reads it for me, okay? But... There, uh, Peter uses a lot of alliteration in this uh, short text. There's a lot of words that all begin with alpha. Uh, and it, if, you don't, if you don't read Greek, it, you miss it. Right? So he's, he addresses the, the exiles, the sojourners, those who are a long way from home. And he uses this word to abstain from... Uh, the passions of the flesh. Well, that word abstain means to be far away from, like far away from home. Just like the believers were a long way from their home and we're a long way from our heavenly home, we're to stay a long way away from the passions of the flesh. Your exiles here on earth be exiles from the passions of the flesh. Be strangers to it. Stay away from it. Just as you're separated from your home, be separated from the passions of the flesh. And I'm not sure that I need to delineate exactly what constitutes a passion of the flesh. um, But it's certainly not as simple as we might first think. Um, And I don't know what thoughts, the, the words passions of the flesh conjure up in your mind, 
But Peter's not just talking about sex and sensuality and lust and that sort of thing. This is about everything that feeds the monster of self. That's a passion of the flesh. It doesn't have to have anything to do with anybody else. It's just selfishness. That's the problem. Selfishness is the king of all fleshly passions. That's the monster. Fleshly lusts war against the soul, and their war is made up of stratagem and slight, for they cannot hurt the soul except by itself. They promise it some contentment, and so gain its consent to serve them, and then undo itself. They embrace the soul that they may strangle it. That's what passions of the flesh do. That's how it works. You give the passions of your flesh permission to undo your soul. And they need our permission. It's not a sneak attack. It's no wonder that Peter tells us uh, and tells the church to stay far away from the passions of the flesh. They promise gratification. The life of our soul, our inner self, our mind, our thoughts, our true being, our hearts, that's what this word soul means. It's not just your ethereal, mystical, secret, being alive thing. It, it's, it's, it's everything that makes us us. The Greek word is psyche. You've heard that before, right? It's everything that makes us who we are. And all of that is, is hidden inside of us. Right? This, your eyes might be the window to the soul, like they say, but I don't know. It's everything that's inside of us, and these fleshly passions wage war against what makes us us and try to tear it apart. It's hidden inside, and it's hurt and killed by these fleshly lusts. We often think that our battle is against people, right? Our battle is against unbelievers. Our battle is against Satan. Well, yeah, but the first line of that battle is all in here. Warren Wiersbe said our battle isn't with the people around us, but with the passions within us. Our phones, our news feeds, our TVs, our perception of the opinions of others about us. Guess what? Guess what they feed, right? Not our soul, but our fleshly passions. These are all the same kind of distractions, and they keep us fixated on the things that have cozied up in our hearts in order to strangle them. But winning this war for our souls is not, it's not just about us. It's not just about, i got to stand my ground against myself. But other people are involved. Those around us are watching. Verse 12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And we have the word Gentiles used here. This is, again, I don't know why the translators chose to use this word. It doesn't mean everybody who's not Jewish. That's, 
That's not. It's it's the same Greek word used earlier in this chapter for nation. It's ethnos. It's people. It's just it's a synonym for anybody who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. It's just everybody else in the world that is not a Christian, a true Christian. Peter used the same word earlier, and they chose to translate it nation to be a holy nation. But I didn't write this translation, so it's not my fault. And I'm not an expert. It's just what the, it's what the Google told me. Not really. It's not. It's not. Peter, Peter simply means unbelievers, the unbelieving nations, everyone who is not a believer in Christ, the ungodly world. Okay, that's what he means. Keep your conduct among them, everyone who is apart from Christ, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, because they will, if they haven't already, they'll see, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. I can, all, I can think of like one major public example of, of this, and because... Our, our family is very sports-oriented. The guy who, I, who comes to my mind when I think about this is Tim Tebow. Remember Tim Tebow? Right? He was blackballed by the NFL for kneeling after scoring touchdowns to praise the Lord or to pray or to thank God for scoring a touchdown, which, you know, think whatever you want about that. But he was blacklisted, right? Just couldn't get a job in the NFL for years as a quarterback, and I guess now he's trying to be a tight end, which he didn't ask me, but I should have done that a long time ago. <laughs> um, what what evil can they say about him? Oh, nobody. I hate Tim Tebow. I hate Tim Tebow. Why? What did he do? He gave thanks to God for scoring a touchdown. Nobody likes that, right? But you can't say, I mean, he's not perfect, but... Maybe that's not a perfect example, but it's the one that comes to my mind. Peter charges the church to keep our conduct honorable, exercising good moral character. Christians are to stand out from the unbelieving world because we have a different set of standards. Especially in our day, where wrong is praised as right, and right is labeled hatred, this is more important than ever for our conduct to be honorable among the nations. Our conduct must remain honorable, fine, good, praiseworthy is what the word means. Treating others as we would like to be treated. Loving our neighbors. Honoring God in all that we do. Those early Sunday school lessons for some of us seem pretty countercultural now. Love your neighbor with God's definition of love, not the world's. The world is closely watching. The world closely watches Christians. Why? Because they're looking for good examples? Uh uh-uh. uh. Not even close. They're looking to pick us apart. They're looking to pick the church apart. They're looking to tear our Savior down. Even if they don't know it, they're always on the lookout to slander the church and our Savior as a result. 
And unfortunately, (laughs) we're not always helping. We give way too many opportunities to do just that. So what does that mean for us? It means we have to watch our walks. We have to watch our walks closely. Because we can't afford to fail. Because souls are at stake. Not only our own walk, but we need to watch each other's walk as well because we're all in this together. That means correcting when necessary. That means rebuking when necessary so that we can all maintain God-honoring walks in this life. Accountability is unpopular in every circle of being. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to be called out. Does that make it bad? No. Not everything that's hard is bad. It's hard, but it's necessary. It's certainly necessary in the church family because the world is watching. In Peter's day, the church was blamed for all sorts of things anytime something went wrong. Christians were falsely accused of being revolutionaries and blamed for almost every natural disaster and calamity. Now, I'm not just saying that. Uh, The second century theologian Tertullian, he's got a funny name, so you know there's some authority there. Tertullian said, if the Tiber River rises to the walls of the city, if the Nile does not irrigate the fields... If an earthquake takes place, if famine or pestilence arise, they cry forthwith, away with the Christians to the lions. When the city of Rome burned, Nero blamed the church while he sat back and watched. This has happened throughout the centuries. It's obviously the Christians' fault that things aren't going the way that we want or that bad things happen. Now, this may not be your experience. Maybe you've never been blamed for a city burning down or an earthquake or whatever. But the church has certainly been blamed for our share of calamities, even in modern times. I'm sure you've met as many people as I have that have had bad experiences with the church or or people in the church. They've been turned off by stories that they've heard, and they've decided to write the church off as a whole. I had a bad experience with one person one time, and so that means every Christian is the same, and they're all terrible. And all churches are the same, and they hate everybody. Do you know why people have that perception? Because they're not always wrong. And how can that be changed? Us, right? That's all we got. People would rather deal with the church as a whole and write off the church as a whole or specific groups because they're not willing to deal with individuals or accept accountability themselves. Now, on the other side of the coin, you may have had experiences with what Peter says about the watching world and its reaction to your good deeds, seeing your good deeds and glorifying God on the day of visitation. 
Now, did you know the day of visitation has already happened? Huge theological point here. Understanding this phrase, the day of visitation, is really important. It's the key to understanding whether or not you can relate to what Peter is saying right here. My first thought was that the day of visitation means the return of Christ, right? Trumpet sounds, clouds roll back, Jesus comes back, God again visits the earth in the person of his son. But I'm wrong. That's not it. In truth, the day of visitation happens all the time. It's any day that God visits the lives of people Believers and unbelievers alike with great difficulties. Did you know God does that? He visits us in difficulties. This last year has been difficult in a million different ways. Does that mean that God abandoned us? Does that mean when bad things happen, it's because God's angry with us? Does that mean because... You know, things aren't going exactly according to our plan that somehow God has missed the mark. No. No. And if you think that, you're wrong. Okay, that's fun. Like that? God visits us in difficulties. Our Father loves us so much, He is willing to screw up our lives to draw us to Himself. Have you ever known anybody to come to Christ because their life was just so good? Everything is so perfect. It must be God, and so I'm going to come to faith in Christ. I, I would love to hear that story. If you have that, I, you could sell a book. Is that really how it happens? Is that really what you've experienced? Because it's not for me. God's day of visitation is days of difficulty, of hardship, and pain. We've talked about these experiences before as God's refining fire for Christians. But for unbelievers, these days of visitation are the Father's attempt to get people's attention and to draw them to himself. When these days of difficult difficulties come, oftentimes our unbelievers, our unbelieving friends come to us. You ever had that happen? Like, my life is terrible. Will you? I know you're a praying person, and I don't know anything about that, but will you pray for me? That's exactly what Peter's talking about. They've observed our lives, and they know we're not perfect. We don't have all the answers, but maybe we've got some. We can be of some help. Now, it may be convenient for people to speak evil of the church as a whole, or to blame the whole church for all times for the actions of a few misguided souls. The church is garbage. Remember remember the Spanish Inquisition? What about the Crusades? What, a, what about it? It's a, a bunch of misguided souls did some really terrible things in God's name. I can also tell you that those people didn't have access to the Holy Scripture either. They couldn't read what God wanted them to do and how he wanted the church to be because they weren't allowed to have it. 
So thank God for the paper Bible you hold in your hand. Those people that we know that are apart from Christ will still look to us when life goes sideways. They'll look to their Christian friends, if they have any, when things go wrong. And I guess the best thing that we can do is to make sure everybody we know has a Christian friend. To make sure they have some friends who know the Lord that they can count on on their days of visitation in times of trouble. This is perhaps the best way we can witness to people. Just by being authentic followers of Jesus Christ all the time. So, if we think about these two verses, they can be easily summarized with rule number one. Watch your walk and don't be a jerk. Let's close in prayer. Right? Be nice. Do good. Is that it? You know me better than that. It's not. Sounds kind of nebulous. So just, you know, be nice and make sure you're wearing a cross, you know, or that everybody knows you go to church. Whatever, you brag on your pastor. You know, just charming and handsome. Talk funny sometimes. Yep. Is that, uh, is that how we show the world we're different? Is that how people see Christ in us? Not Really? Not really. My notes say, ha ha, nope. Nope, that's not it. Peter actually gives us some very specific ways in which the church is to stand apart from the world. And it is probably the most unpopular strategy ever. The church's dirty word. Submission. Look. Verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, there is a lot to talk about. There's a lot to be said on this topic. And Peter gives the rest of this chapter and half of the next dealing with, dealing with submission. We're going to be taking a closer look at it over the coming weeks. I've seen a T-shirt um, advertised this week because... Your phone is always listening to you, and you have a conversation about something, it's going to pop up, right? So, I I saw this T-shirt advertised that says, Obey God, Defy Tyrants, Acts 5.29. And it has, like, this skull with a crown on it with a knife stuck in its eye. Like, and it's sold by the Reformers or something like that. Yeah. Honor God, defy tyrants. 
by a company that claimed to speak for the reformers. Those are guys I quote all the time. John Calvin, Martin Luther, not really king stabbing in the eye kind of guys. Um, the shirt had the reference Acts 5.29 at the bottom as its proof text. And this is a quote from the Apostle Peter where he says in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. Ah, love that. Sounds good, doesn't it? No. That only sounds good if you ignore the context. If you don't Find out what Peter was talking about. That's just, we shouldn't obey anybody. All right. If you ignore the context of the verse in Acts, what Peter was doing, what he was talking about, who he was talking to, you could also ignore the rest of the New Testament, and that verse is awesome. Sounds like a cool tattoo. The same Peter that said, we must obey God rather than men, also said, be subject for the Lord's sake to, have, to every human institution. Sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Again, context is king. You can't remove the verses from their context and expect to really get God's instruction. And we're going to deal with this in depth, um, certainly next week and forever. Uh, but... For now, we can simply say that we are duty-bound for the Lord's sake to obey civil authorities so that we are good citizens, although we're exiles. And that our duty of obedience ceases only where God strictly forbids it. We are bound to the laws of man until they command us to violate the commands of God. What was Peter talking about in Acts? The Jewish leaders were telling him not to preach the gospel anymore. He's upsetting people. Okay, now it's all right to say, uh, judge for yourselves whether it's right for us to obey God or you. God's commanding us to tell people about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, and you're saying to knock it off because you're stirring everybody up. Okay? Now you're talking about defying tyrants. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it's the emperor's supreme or governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. So we've had to do this this past year. We've had, to, we've had to do the things with the mass, and we've had to limit the number of people that can gather in this place, in this building. We had to shut down so that, uh, because the state said we had to. Why did we do that? Just because we don't want to have church? If I just ride around in my kooky brain for a week. No, that's not it. We're not looking for time off, that's for sure. This has been among the most difficult and discouraging time in my tenure in ministry at all. And we've gone through some garbage. But this was the worst. But we had to do these things in order to be good citizens to obey the civil authorities put in place by God. Doesn't mean we like it. 
but we are being obedient for the Lord's sake. Submission is very unpopular because it flows in the opposite direction of selfishness. And as disciples of Christ, we should be shining examples of that reverse flow. That the unbelieving world will see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We should be the best at submission. As much as it tastes bad. That sounds like fun. Sell that on t-shirt. Submit. Yeah. We're going to talk more about the specifics that Peter was talking about in the coming weeks. Submission to authorities. Submission wives to husbands. Submission to masters. It's tough. It's hard. We don't like it because it flows in the opposite direction of our flesh. I've said a million times, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's bad. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Amen? Amen. I told you we weren't going to make it all the way through to verse 17. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your love for us. And Lord, we're humbled by the thought that you have chosen us out of the world to be citizens of your kingdom. Not just citizens of the kingdom, but children of the king by faith in Jesus Christ. And Father, if there's anyone here this morning who has not given their lives to Christ... I pray that even now, as we pray, as we sing on the ride home, at lunch, wherever, Lord, that they would cry out to you, asking you for forgiveness, accepting your death on the cross, Lord Jesus, was on their behalf, that you died for them, and that you live again to rule and reign in us. May we all embrace the offer of forgiveness only available through Jesus Christ. Father, these things are not easy for us. We are in a constant battle. So we pray, Father, that you would be our shield and defender, that we would be far away, keep ourselves far away from the passions of the flesh, that wage war against our soul. May we shake off those things that have cozied up to our hearts just so they can strangle them. Defend us, Lord Jesus, we pray. 
in your holy name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.